You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host, Piper Dawes, and with me as always is Christopher Parr, director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hi, Chris. Hi. Hi. You all right? Yeah, fine, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. Good. I thought I'd just do a follow-up. Um... (laughs) Uh, Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week and he's going to share them with us today. But first, it's over to Chris to make some preliminary... (laughs) I knew I'd get stuck on that word. But first, it's over to Chris to make some preliminary mouth noises. In the words of Rose DeWitt Bucator, if she were an academic and not a filthy door hog, draw me like one of your French facts. Okay, let's get going. Here's the first fact. It's a bloody good one. There is a football league with only one team. Uh, I'll start this fact with a confession. I know very little about football. Uh, I mean, this isn't a strange occurrence for this podcast. Uh, As has become increasingly apparent each time we record, I know very little about a great number of topics. But football is a special one in that I'm basically a blank slate. I'm basically a toddler. It's all new to me, except I'm in no way excited by any of it, like a toddler might be. So with that, I obviously have to Google this fact, starting with, of course, what is a football league? I, I I mean, I know, I now know what a football league is, thankfully. So the smallest league I could find was actually the Silly Isles, Silly with a C, not um, like a set of islands devoted to being daft or something. Again, something I had to Google. Uh, the small crop of islands off the south coast of Cornwall had have no more than two teams, as they mostly compete to get kids interested in the sport. So what's this one-team league, Chris? So this is the Polynesian microstate of Kahayu, which has a total area of just seven square kilometres, about the size of Huddersfield, basically, and has a population of just 3,000 people. As with basically everywhere else in the world, the footed ball, as we like to call it on this podcast, is quite popular in Kahayu. But with such a tiny population, they only have enough football men to field one football team. Kahayu Soccer Club or KSC. So it's popular enough for them to have a league in the first place. But are you telling me that with 3,000 people, they couldn't do another team? Have another, just have another one? Well, not everybody wants to play football, Piper. That's true. I can understand that. Um... <laughs> it's not the army you can just rope people into it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think, I think football conscription might be, there might, there might be some, some qualms against that. <laughs> so um, it's quite, it's quite hard to tell these things when, when they're the only team on the Island, but what are they, are they particularly successful at what they do? If by what they do, you mean being the only team in the league, then yes, they are quite good at that. Despite having just the one team, Kahayu does have a football league, imaginatively named the Kahayu Soccer League, or KSL. And each season, Kahayu SC plays one game, which wins by default because the other team doesn't turn up, because the other team doesn't exist. And because Kahayu SC wins the league's only match every year, it also wins the league every year. Right, on a, so on a technicality then, very successful. Um, every game, every season. That, I mean, that must be some kind of record, Chris. Well, due to its bizarre circumstances, Kahayu SC does hold a number of world records. 
they are the most successful league team in the world, having won 66 league trophies since it and the league's founding in 1954. But they also hold the record for the least number of goals scored by a football league team at zero. Kahayu SC also has the least number of supporters of any football team. When averaged across the number of spectators for their matches over a season, they have just 150 supporters. And to put it in perspective, our old friends Manchester City FC averaged 25,000 supporters. And although this isn't an official record, it's interesting to note that Gahayu has the largest percentage of football men in the world. For example, the UK's Professional Footballers Association has 5,000 members, which equals about 0.007% of the UK's 70 million person population. While Kahayu has 22 footballers, an 11-man squad and an 11-man reserve squad, which equals 0.7% of its 3,000-person population, which is 100 times larger than the UK's football man population. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's very interesting how you can make statistics warp the way people see you as, a, as, as an organisation in any concept. Like, like that, that basically, without telling me the fact at the top of the fact... That that actually makes it sound like just like they're they're all they're all into football there, like over over in um, this this Polynesian island, you know, like they 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 just all love football. But actually, like it's just a statistics thing, isn't statistics fun, Chris? Um, so have they I, essentially their career is just showing up to a field is basically that that's what they do. Do they actually? I mean, they they have to turn up so that they don't get disqualified. But like that's all they do, isn't it? They just turn up and then they go, cool, we've won by default again yes that's what they do right okay and do they have like a like um football betting on the island like pools or anything like that because i feel like i feel like the the um the odds are going to be pretty stacked in um the uh Kahayu soccer club's favor quite a lot of the time you're not going to get much payout on that are you no what would you bet on well you'd only be able to bet on one thing and that would be a surefire win yeah so they probably don't do that no no, sorry, that was a silly suggestion, wasn't it? Um, have they have they ever lost a game? Surprisingly, they have lost one game in their sixty-seven year history, and that was in nineteen eighty-two when a flu bug was going around the island, and enough of the team's players were ill that they couldn't field a squad, so they lost by default. However, they did still win the league because despite losing all of their matches, there were no other teams to take the title. Right. Okay. So they, they have actually lost one then. Um, I mean, I, I feel like that's sort of like a combo breaker for them, isn't it? Like it's like they've just done, they've spent so long winning matches. They've got used to it at this point. I bet that was quite a crushing defeat for them. I think they were okay with it. They won the league. Yeah. I mean, that's going to, that's going to, that's going to improve your mood slightly, I think, isn't it? <laughs> So, <laughs> um, I mean, this is this is this is this is all very strange because obviously they don't actually play any play any games, unlike the um, the the Isle, uh, Islands of Scilly um, league, where there's there's two teams and they they play essentially just to just as a PR thing. Um, these guys don't actually play any games. Have they have they actually ever got to play a game at all, Chris? Well, in order to be recognised as the winner of the match, the team has to go out onto the pitch, take their football positions and kick off. 
That is kick the ball once and that's it. That's all they have to do to win. Oh, so, it, so they, technically there is actually a game played then? Technically, yes. But the brevity and lack of excitement in KSC matches might go some way to explaining why they have so few spectators. Yes, I mean, the expectation isn't particularly high, is it? Given given their track record. <laughs> so I bet like... like... I don't know the I as as established, Chris, I don't really know the rules of football, but like does the offside rule apply to to to, to these matches? No. No, it doesn't. Okay. Well, um so what do Kahayu soccer clubs uh, dwindling numbers of supporters think of their performance within the league? Well, they're not dwindling. In fact, Kahayu SC's number of supporters has remained steady for 60 years. It's just that there aren't very many of them. Fair enough. Nevertheless, they are very proud of their team's unbeaten record. And much of Kahayu SC's, albeit minimal merchandise, is emblazoned with the words, officially the best team in the world. Oh, wow. I mean, obviously, you'd play into that, wouldn't you? Um, well, I, I I, have just had a successful conversation about football. I feel like I'm a proper person now of, uh, that's allowed into society. You've won the Football Conversation League, of which you are the only member. <laughs> exactly. Coming in your ear canal at blistering... Oh, fucking hell. Coming in your ear canal at a blistering 761.2 miles per hour, it's the second fact. You can buy blank newspapers to write your own news. As an avid Tumblr user during the mid to late 2000s, I am no stranger to writing my own news. From misinformed diatribes on right-wing politics to my brief and ultimately pointless foray into the world of pastel goss fashion... It wasn't exactly popular. I'm, I'm not alone in this. Most thought pieces, blogs or comment sections about current affairs on the internet tend to be wildly inaccurate or just plain uninteresting. Despite this, many news outlets persist with the have your say segment where John from Margate can wax lyrical about the state of the world or immigrants or something with very little interest in journalistic integrity or truth. Not that that's something that actual journal- journalists interact with all that regularly to be honest anyway so i guess in this post-truth world where everyone seems to have an opinion on everything and every news outlet on the planet seems to be falling at their feet to give them a platform for their bullshit a blank newspaper where you can write your own news will probably be really popular regardless of whether it actually should be how can our listeners get involved in this new and innovative way to write their own news chris so the Daily Journal is a broadsheet newspaper with completely blank pages, except for the paper's name and the date and issue number on the front page. It's available at participating gathering places throughout the UK, such as pubs, cafes, libraries and train stations. The idea is that patrons for a fee can write their own news stories in the paper and read stories written by others. Okay, so so basically you can go into a pub and it, that, that, that is participating in the scheme and go, right, I, I want, I, I've got a story, I want to write my own little bit of something and, and you can do that on this blank newspaper and then what just give it back to the landlord and they go cool i'll just give it to the people that made why why does this exist why why does why has this happened chris why why does the scheme itself exist then the purpose behind the daily journal is to engender a sense of community among the disparate and separate patrons of these establishments 
It is, in essence, one of those irritating schemes developed by the kind of people who complain about smartphones and the internet and spout COD philosophy like, more connected than ever, yet never further apart. Yeah, like it's not always been like that. People are, people want to ignore each other. People want to just look at newspapers instead of actually talking to each other or their phones instead of actually talking to each other. It's not a new thing. The human race just don't like each other. That's that's And that's fine. We've kind of got to accept that. So with that in mind, what actually happens to all the fill in newspapers, Chris? When an issue of the Daily Journal is completed, it is digitised and archived on the Daily Journal website where anyone can read it, which does kind of undermine the project's offline ethos. Oh, so it's, it's archived, just, it's just digitised basically online? Yes, that's what I said. No, I'm I'm just clarifying because that does yeah that really does undermine it. Like so so basically they're they're they've set it up to basically get people to interact with people outside of the internet and essentially the only re- the only way it can actually exist on mass like on a, on a large scale is by actually using the internet. Yes. Right. Uh, so how about the content itself then? Is it something I'd be inclined to pick up and read? Well. And knowing your uh, your your taste in reading material, it might be. What fuck's that supposed to mean? <laughs> Most of the quote unquote news written in issues of the Daily Journal is either excruciatingly mundane or else obviously made up. A quick survey of the paper's headlines on the website reveals that most of the stories skew towards the scatological, with headlines like Man does poo, man unable to do poo, or man hears other man do poo, concerned about other man's diet. Are, are you perhaps um, engaging in the duality of meaning with the first part of the word scatological there? I do not know what you mean. Because scatological is stuff to do with poo, right? Oh, is it already? Is it Right, okay. I didn't know that. I Right. What did you think it was? I didn't know. I, I thought it was just a word that i didn't understand <laughs> right so that's already to do with poo right fine okay hold, hold on so you knew the word scat is to do with poo yeah no i knew that but you yeah. were entirely unable to make the connection to scat or logical well i thought maybe it just meant just pointless silly frivolous stuff and then you were then you were just sort of relating it back to poo as a joke and i thought i'd just sort of point that out right yeah no i fucked up there haven't i <laughs> Yes, you have, rather. Um, Anyway, where was I? There are also stories that have clearly been fabricated, either for nefarious or satirical purposes. Stories like Man Has Big Dick, Good at Sex. Nigerian Prince Detained by Government Seeks Funds for Release. And Brexit Going Swimmingly, Clearly a Good Idea. Yes, I wondered when that was going to come up. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the thing, Chris. If you get, like, local normies to go and just, like, fucking write their own news, they're going to skew it. They're going to, I mean, it's not going to be accurate. But then, then, like I said at the top of the facts, it's no more accurate or no less accurate than the general news we get fed into our brains anyway, is it, really? It might be slightly less accurate or at least slightly less relevant. Well, yes. I mean, I don't really want to hear about poo all the time. Don't lie, Piper. <laughs> Um, so have any any stories come out of this scheme that might actually be considered newsworthy, Chris? I think man hears other man do poo concerned about other man's diet is quite newsworthy. <laughs> if you happen to be the other man, the man doing the poo. 
Any any others? The Daily Journal has broken a few political stories when politicians or political aides have been drunk in pubs, said something they shouldn't have to somebody they shouldn't have, and that somebody has then written the story in the paper. For example, it was the Daily Journal that broke the story about George Osborne's financial relationship with an antique umbrella, and the story that John Major spent a large portion of his MP's allowance on Warhammer figures. He is apparently a Skaven player. Oh, good to know. Skaven are a race of like rat men in the Warhammer fantasy world. Yeah, do you know what? That makes sense. He is basically the human equivalent of a rat, I guess. <laughs> I think that's insulting to rats. <laughs> uh, right, well, okay, Chris. So obviously um uh you, you do this research as part of the part of the um the work that the institute does i forgot the word institute um you you did this work as, as 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 part of your work for the institute but have you had, had any personal interaction with the service did you attend and write your own stories or anything i have written my own story in the daily journal go on what have you written so the headline is man writes in newspaper and the the story is today a man wrote a story in a newspaper about a man writing a story in a newspaper. At the time of writing, the man is still writing a story in a newspaper about a man writing a story in a newspaper. Sources close to the man writing a story in a newspaper about a man writing a story in a newspaper say that the man is a man writing a story in a newspaper about a man writing a story in a newspaper. <laughs> Good. <laughs> right, well, newspapers are a dying form of art, aren't they? Not art, not art. Dying form of communication. Um, and we all know it. But do we have any any other interesting facts about newspapers, Chris? So obviously popular names for newspapers right now are things like The Mirror, The Journal, The Times, etc. But popular names for newspapers in the history times included things like The Badgerer. Did you say The Badgerer? Yes, taken from like the verb to badger someone. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Right. The thing. The thing? Yes, like the daily thing. The Huddersfield thing. <laughs> it sounds like a shit horror movie. <laughs> it came from Huddersfield. <laughs> You'll be pleased to know the third fact this week is not about Harry Potter. Scientists are pretending to be Harry Potter. Fuck off. <laughs> no, scientists are pretending to be monkeys. Much better. Right. Well, scientists are, by and large, a bunch of fucking nerds. That's not a bad thing. It's just true. Cosplayers also, by and large, fucking nerds. So being presented with the idea that scientists are pretending to be monkeys is not entirely surprising to me. I guess I always assumed there'd be some sort of crossover. Why are they doing it though, Chris? Is it a furry thing again? It is not a furry thing. So one of the pitfalls of studying the so-called higher primates, monkeys and apes, is that they love interacting with humans, but act differently around humans than they do other primates. This means that any behavioural data gathered from interacting with monkeys is immediately suspect as all it will reveal is how monkeys interact with humans and not other monkeys. 
To counteract this, primatologists in Japan have taken to disguising themselves as monkeys when they study monkeys, so that the monkeys will think that they are monkeys and they can gather unbiased behavioural data. Okay, so this is sort of like the, the slit experiment. As soon as you start observing them, they they act differently. Yes, and in addition, monkeys will be in two places at once if you don't look at them. If you fire a monkey out of a cannon at a wall with two slits in it and then look away, as soon as you look back, there'll be two monkey-shaped splats on the wall. They always keep you guessing, these fucking monkeys, don't they? Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, don't don't the monkeys just assume... like So going, going back to reality, Chris, in the real world, um, if you're a scientist in the monkey suit don't the monkeys just assume you're just another human messing about again surely they know they they know these scientists are just humans in monkey costumes don't they well at first the primatologists dressed up like monkeys but they soon realized that monkeys don't actually seem to care what other monkeys look like as long as an individual is acting like a monkey, other monkeys will assume that they are a monkey, regardless of whether they look like a monkey. I think we can take a lot from monkeys, to be honest, Chris. I mean, they're not superficial, are they? They don't just, they don't just look at you and go, that looks like a weird monkey. I'm not going to inter- interact with that one. They're not, they're, not, they're not about that. They're just about you as a person. Yeah. So the primatologists ditched their cumbersome monkey suits and just acted like monkeys. Fake it till you make it, basically. Oh, what? So they didn't even bother with the suits then? That's what I just said, yeah. You did say that out loud. (laughs) But like, I mean, suits aside, like, don't we have like, we as a species, Chris, don't we tend to have like a completely different build to monkeys? Well, obviously, costume or no costume, humans are, generally speaking, larger than monkeys. But this also doesn't seem to bother the monkeys. In fact, behavioural and neurological data suggests that monkeys perceive humans acting like monkeys as particularly strange-looking monkeys, but monkeys nonetheless. Oh, okay. So they acknowledge that we're a bit weird, as as monkeys go, but, but we're still one of them. That's nice. I like that. Okay. Well, yeah, like I said before, we can learn a lot from monkeys. It's quite a nice way to live. Um... So these scientists who've gone who've gone in, ditched the monkey suits and just like just acted like monkeys. And you haven't really been specific about that, but I mean obviously I've got I've got I've got quite the pantomime going on in my mind about how that would work. Oh no, you haven't. <laughs> Stop it right now, because it's not funny. Um though these these scientists, are they are they living full time as as monkeys? Well, they've been doing this pretending to be monkeys for a number of years. But they have to be careful and they can only stay in character, so to speak, for short periods because of the apparent psychological effects of pretending to be a monkey. In the early days, when primatologists would spend weeks at a time pretending to be monkeys, they reported having dreams of leaping through the treetops, the urge to groom other humans, and brief moments of panic when they noticed that they didn't have a tail. Of course, they could only report these things when they still had the ability to speak, which some of the primatologists lost briefly after spending particularly long periods pretending to be monkeys. Oh, shit. Right. Okay, so uh, the, the stuff you mentioned about, like, you know, just being a bit panicky about not having a tail, you know, all of that sort of stuff, that's fine. 
it's all right. It's just, a, it's all part and parcel of being a scientist, isn't it? It's all right. But then when you were like, they lost, and some of them lost the ability to speak. I was like, right, okay, yeah, that, maybe that is quite serious. I take that quite seriously. That's fair enough. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, no one wants, no one wants to get stuck in, in, in um, the mindset of another species, do they, Chris? I mean, we, we've, 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 we've heard reports of like, um, on the news and on the telly and on the internet and stuff about people getting stuck in in wolf mode and stuff when when you know like they they spend too much time in with packs of wolves they get accepted and they're like well this is better and then they just hang around for a bit with the the, the other dogs and the and then they, they just get a bit carried away don't they uh, you don't want that you don't want that i wouldn't i mean if if that happened to me chris i i i'd struggle to do the i'd struggle to do the podcast we'd make do <laughs> uh, um <laughs> uh, so of uh these scientists that have done all this stuff that it seems to have taken quite a lot mentally to 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 do the experiment it's quite a taxing job really isn't it being a monkey have they made any new discoveries about monkeys while masquerading as monkeys they've made several discoveries about monkey behavior and social structure perhaps the most surprising thing the primatologists pretending to be monkeys have found is that monkeys don't actually like bananas what turns out that they just pretend to like bananas when humans are around because they think that's what humans want and when questioned, one monkey who knew a limited number of sign language signs said, Monkey no like banana. Monkey like human. Monkey no eat banana. Human says, Monkey pretend like banana. Human happy. Well, this is a revelation, Chris. <laughs> so the monkeys that are involved in the experiment, Chris, do they see the human monkeys, in inverted commas, as part of their tribe or their, or their family? Or do they? Do you think they see them as a threat? Why are those the only two options? Family or threat? Do you consider anyone not of your immediate family a threat? Do you see me as a threat? Well, I'm not a monkey, Chris. No, you're not. But it just seems odd that you would assume that those are the only two two options. They're just another monkey. Well, I mean, like, if basically, if 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 some scientist came in cosplaying in my house, cosplaying as basically one of me a human so a human scientist comes into your house pretending to be a human is what you're saying <laughs> yes fine fine but if i was a monkey in a reasonably sized cage for scientific purposes and i'd made that my home and then someone just turned up one day and i'm like you're a big monkey but that's okay why are you assuming they're in a cage well just so you i, I mean they're not going to be in like a a forest are they because like you've got to be able to monitor them if, if, if these scientists are going to do experiments they've got to be able to monitor them haven't they well how do you think jane goodall did what she did fair point actually yeah all right okay well if i turned up in their territory however big that is if i turned up as a scientist and i went right i'm i'm here now it, everything's like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hang out with you guys do you not think they maybe like be a little bit like eh. I don't know who you are. You could be doing anything. You could be trying to sell me something. I don't know. What would a monkey be selling another monkey? Insurance. For what? Chris, I I feel like I feel like what you're doing here is you're trying to you're trying to trip me up 
But you know full well I'm not a monkey. That's not the issue. <laughs> right. Well, I don't feel like we're getting anywhere with this. Okay, fine. So what you're is what you're saying that they're completely fine with a scientist turning up and just being part of their daily routine. I'm like, right, I'm I'm in out. I'm just going to be a scientist among you and well, not saying they're going to, they're not announcing that they're a scientist, are they? It's not like the human wandering into your house and announcing that they're human. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, to be honest, that would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> Hello, I'm a human man. Hello, don't mind me, I'm just a human like you. <laughs> As usual, the and finally fact at the end of the show is a nice fluff piece to round off the episode, filled with cute, innocent fun. Over to you, Chris. Hundreds of people became ill after Gary Lineker licked their crisps. Aw, it's lovely that. Um, (laughs) British listeners who were paying attention in the 90s will know very well that retired football man and commentator Gary Lineker was and indeed still is the face of Walker's crisps. He did that weird advert where the guy was stealing his crisps and then he breaks his fingers and makes him cry. Uh, it's not as violent as it sounds. It's not. Uh, anyway, it, it, it was a different time. Football was all the rage, much to my own dislike. The crisp company had flavours which referenced the names of the football stars at the time. Salt and Lineker, Smokey Beckham, Cheese and Owen. It was weird, uh, but it was quite popular. Uh, Anyway, basically, we all assumed, because the British public of the 90s were incredibly susceptible to advertising, that Gary Gary Lineker was completely, madly obsessed with crisps. So to hear now that he's licked loads of crisps that made it into the public circulation doesn't entirely surprise me. Uh, I mean, it's basically the obsessive behaviour detailed in the advert, but en masse, like, like, it's kind of like the children's rule. I licked it, so it's mine. Gary Lineker probably just wants to own all the crisps currently in existence. Or so I would assume if I thought the character of Lineker in the 90s adverts was actually the real Lineker, which I don't. Before I forget what's real again, what does this actually all mean, Chris? You know what, Piper? I don't think we've got time for the fact after all of that. I'm going to have to finish the episode. That's it. That's the end of this episode of Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Dawes. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found at M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. You can also contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes, that's S-W-E-C-U-B-E-S and Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Where, where do you listen to the podcast? On the toilet? On the way to work? During the Sunday sermon? Tweet us and let us know. Thanks for listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Bye-bye. Bye. So in the 1990s, Walkers ran a promotion in which you had to find crisps that footballer turned crisp mad sociopath Gary Lineker had licked to win prizes such as VHS players, Walkmans and Tamagotchis. 
for our international listeners, Walkers is the biggest brand of crisps or chips in the UK. The equivalent of Lay's in the US. Lay's? Lay's, yes. Right, so all of that, I mean, it sounds, it definitely sounds like the sort of shit that would happen in the 90s, yes. Uh, how would you know, Chris, hypothetically, how would you know if you got a crisp that was licked by Gary Lineker? Was it just like a bit soggy? And no, the idea behind the promotion was that Lineker had red food dye on his tongue and he licked hundreds of crisps before they were packaged. And it was these red licked crisps that people had to find to win prizes. Uh, so I feel like that's slightly ever ever so like a modicum less gross than the original thought that i had but still very gross but again different time honestly i mean it's the 90s anything goes so but uh, the only thing i don't understand here chris is how come people got ill from this it's just gary lineker he's fine right so it later turned out that at the time of the licking lineker was suffering from strep throat an infection of the throat caused by the bacteria Streptococcus. Consequently, the crisps that Lineker licked, as well as all the crisps that were packaged with them, were contaminated with the bacteria, and hundreds of people ended up catching strep throat from eating these crisps. Right, okay, so uh, assuming, if, you know, if this was now, that, you know, in today's litigious society, they'd recall the crisps... They'd recall the campaign, they'd go, that didn't happen, basically. They'd, they'd just pretend that never happened, and they'd just sell the crisps as normal, and, you know, everything would be fine. Is that what they did? Uh, well, obviously, they were criticised for inadvertently spreading an admittedly fairly mild illness. And to avoid any costly lawsuits, they awarded prizes to anyone with strep throat who contacted them, regardless of whether they found a licked crisp, on the assumption that they must have had a bag of crisps with a licked one if they had strep throat. So wait, so anyone with anyone who caught strep throat and contacted walkers, basically they assumed they'd achieved the goal of the campaign? Yes, because there was no way to prove otherwise and they didn't want to be sued by anybody. So they just assumed that they had won and gave them, you know, a, a pager or a Power Rangers sword or whatever. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> is it possible, though, that Gary, the man himself, Lineker, the football man, Gary Lineker, do you think he did it on purpose? Why would he have done it on purpose? Because he's a mad bastard. I mean, have you, you've seen the advert, right? You know, the one where he's, he's like, he, he's, he, 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 sees, he sees the man going for his crisps. And because he's Gary Lineker, and because he works for Walkers, and be, I mean, presumably he only ended up working for Walkers because he was so fucking obsessed with Walkers crisps. Um, that, that's the implication from the advert. It's like He really, 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 really wants all of the crisps that are in that packet. So he squeezes his hand so hard that it makes him cry. And the only, the, only, the only thing you can garner from that interaction is that he actually broke his bones in his hand because, I mean, nothing would make you cry that much unless you actually had broken bones. Like, I think... It, I feel like he's a psychopath is what I'm saying, Chris. I, Gary Lineker, football man, ended up being like a football commentator, obviously, and then ended up being the face of Walker's Crisps. I feel like maybe 
he probably sort of had a moment where he could have rethought, re, rethunk, re, rethought, rethunk. Yes, rethunk, isn't it? He could have rethunk his life, but he decided, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be mental about all of this and just spread strep throat throughout throughout the British public. I thought you were going to suggest something like Gary Lineker was a sleeper agent for a foreign power attempting a biological weapon attack on the UK via crisps. Well, now you mention it, that sounds much more likely, obviously, obviously. But I've, I've got no reason to think that. He's a very, he's a, he's a, all, but he's verging on national treasure territory. He's not exactly Stephen Fry, but he's, you know, he's, he's been the face of Walker's Crisps for a long time. And as we know, as British people, Walker's Crisps, big deal in the UK. So like, you know, you know, I, I can't exactly assume he's a sleeper agent for some foreign national campaign. I, I I would never assume that. Like I, I just think he's a bit of a mental. Uh beyond that though, Chris, do you have any other facts about crisps? Well, Walkers have had some unusual crisp flavours over the years. They had crisp flavoured crisps. Sorry, did you just say crisp flavoured? Yes, crisp flavoured crisp. But aren't aren't all crisps crisp <laughs> Oh well no, because some of them are you know, prawn cocktail or cheese and onion. Yeah, but they're still crisps, aren't they? But um, this was basically a rebranding of ready salted to jazz it up a bit. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, I can't begrudge them that. Like, it's a PR stunt, that's fine. Crisp flavoured crisps. To tie in with the release of The Matrix in 1999, they did virtual crisps, which was just an empty bag. Oh, I I feel like they missed a trick. You could just like maybe 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 advertise downloadable crisps. No, it was virtual crisps, and the bag had a picture of the little bald kid saying there are no crisps. <laughs> and to celebrate World Book Day back in two thousand six, they had a number of flavors inspired by famous British books. For example, they had butter beer flavored crisps from the Harry Potters. They did a Vesper Martini flavour, inspired, of course, by James Bond's signature cocktail. Lovely, lovely, good, yes. And crisps inspired by George Orwell's dystopian classic, 1984. A boot stamping on a human face forever flavour. 